Okay, let's go to Acts. If you noticed in our readings today, we, we did not have an Acts reading, even though that has taken the place uh, in the lectionary for the Old Testament reading. We did not have an Acts reading today because I reserved it for our, our sermon. So we're going we're gonna to still get it in, but it will be in the reading uh, with the sermon here. Notice in Acts 11 is where we're at. You, you may be familiar with Acts. Most people that have been a Christian for some time have read through Acts, and, and it's a very powerful book. It's one you should read through. It, it tells the story of the church. From, it starts with Pentecost, which is really the beginning of the church. The Spirit descends, and then disciples are sent out all over the world. 3,000 converted in that one day, and they go all over the world and start churches. And by the way, by the way, uh, you've heard of some of these churches. In other words, you ever heard of Coptic Christians? Egyptian Christians? You may remember that they were in the news because, what was it, 20-something of them were, were beheaded uh, by radical Muslims. 20 Coptic Christians were beheaded. That was last year, I believe, right, right there by the uh, Mediterranean. <clears throat> well, Guess who helped to plant that church? It was actually St. Thomas. You remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas? He helps to plant that church. Now, uh, Mark goes to India, we think. Uh, and so the Indian church can relate some of its stuff back to, to uh, John Mark. So, again, you've, you've heard of some of these churches? They are sent out in Acts. This is the beginning of the church... And so we get a lot of really neat things happening in Acts, and it's a book that you must read. But let's section ourselves here, go to chapter 11, and we're going to start with verse 1 of Acts 11. Notice these words, this is the Word of God. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. Now, remember, Gentiles, just simply non-Jews. That's, that's basically us, everybody here, from what I know about you. Uh, so, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, Jesse, you should be picking up at that point, uh, criticized him, he's in my class and we're going over there, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So this is a summary of what has already occurred. We, we find out in chapter 10 what happened, but now it's repeated. And it's summarized by Peter himself. Notice, I was in the city of Joppa praying. Now, just real quick, a teaching point. In Acts, nothing happens without prayer. In other words, any big thing that happens in Acts is because... What were they doing when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost? They were praying. What are they doing here when, when God gives Peter this vision? He's praying, we're told. So, as in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time, 
from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them. Did you catch that? And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, quote, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. End quote. If then, God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word and for this story that You chose to tell us. Holy Spirit, would You, just as You did with Peter, would You speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's time to plant. If, in fact, you are going to plant a garden, you may be even a little late. Uh, it It is like high time to plant. Now, around my house and in my cul-de-sac, there are people planting all kinds of things. Uh, The guy next door to me uh, is planting constantly. Uh, His name is Aaron. He's actually here. And and, and he probably looks across the way, and I'm planting over here where I'm at as well. And maybe some of your neighbors have been out in their yards, and they're planting. So we're, we're doing all this sort of thing. That's because we live in seasons. Even the Bible tells us this, doesn't it? Speaking beyond just the, just the spring and summer and fall and winter, there's a season for everything the Scripture says. And what that would then mean is that we're all in a season in our life. Everybody is. So we could, we could literally just, if we had the time, take time to go from person to person and say, what sort of season are you in right now in your life? What's, what's going on? Is it, a, is it a high pressure? Is it a depression? Is there, is there just overwhelming something in this season of your life? Because seasons change. Seasons change. And we need to understand that. We need to understand this point too, and that is, in God's economy, in God's garden, in His kingdom, it's always time to plant. See, we have to wait for certain times to plant. And quite frankly, you plant you know, some things in the fall, other things you plant in the spring. At least that's what we're told. Well, in God's seasons, in the season of your life, 
whether things are going well for you or bad for you, we plant. We plant. We never stop planting. Not in His garden. Because it's not our garden and He's open for business always. The sun does not stop shining. Not in His economy. Not in His garden. He is the source of all things and we are workers in His vineyard. This is what the Scripture clearly tells to us. Now, if you want to look at your own life, you'll know that there are seasons. And I was just... It was really... It was very refreshing for me to go to Mississippi. Now, for multiple reasons. One of which I've already told you, and that is people were praying for me. And so the Spirit was already working in my life. And so as I was able to drive by myself to, to Mississippi from Birmingham... Uh, I had to drop Jessica off there with her sister. But as I drove by myself and then back and spent some time there, even with my grandparents, I was just reminded of my roots. And roots are, roots are an awesome thing. In other words, all of us have roots. I mean, to make it this far, you've got some deep roots that have made you who you are. And have you ever just went back after many years and visited some of those roots where they started? Some of those seeds that were planted to make you the person that you are today. Someone planted certain things in your life and they took root. And so the result of who you are today, how you operate, methodology and personality and all those neat things about humans have roots. And I was able to see some of those roots played out in Mississippi because that's actually my birthplace, Mississippi. I was, I'm a Mississippian. And even though now I'm Alabamian, just because of the fact that uh, I've spent more time now in Alabama than I have in Mississippi, uh, it was great to go back and see some of the things that made me who I was. In particular, for instance, my grandparents. My grandparents helped to shape my parents. And my parents helped to shape me. I am who I am because of them. Not only that, the culture there shapes us. The culture here shapes us. I've heard this from you. I've heard this from others. I mean, we when we Huntsville is a very different place. You cross the river, go to Decatur, it's a very different place. This is a very unique place within Alabama itself. Very cosmopolitan. High education. Fast-paced. Trust me, when you go to Mississippi with me, everything slows down. Even the dialect slows down. I'm like, wow, these people are... Man, they, they really... Because here in Huntsville, you just don't find that sort of... Deep South. It doesn't feel like the Deep South sometimes here in Madison. Uh, but, but nonetheless, I was able to visit that. And you know what? It's good to visit our roots every once in a while. Because you know what you'll end up finding? is some roots there that don't actually need to be there. Some things in our life that have made us things that we are not called to be. Habits that we planted that now are coming to fruit in our life that God wants to uproot. There are some roots that are not good. If they were all good, then uh, we wouldn't need God. Just like the little song. It's about we're still, he's still working on me, right? We sang it last week. Uh, These little children's songs are pretty powerful, aren't they? Um, Yeah, he's still, nope. I don't, I don't think anybody in this room would say that they're, they've arrived yet. Which means, which means we still need, we have room for improvement. That's good news. That means God is still working on us. And so it's good to visit these roots. And I, and I just was reminded, even as I walked around in Flint the other day, when I was coming in from Decatur, uh, I mean from uh, Mississippi, I was able to stop where, where Justin and I grew up and just walk around the premises. The house is gone, 
But what shaped me being there, playing there, uh, the people that were there in that church shaped who I am. Who has shaped you? What has shaped you? And you know, God can redeem anything. He, he, he's an expert at redeeming. So no matter your upbringing, He can redeem that. You remember Moses was broken away from his family and raised by pagan Egyptians. And look what he did with Moses. You have other guys who came from solid families. People who come from broken families. Very broken. I mean, just read the Bible in the Old Testament. You'll see very broken families. And yet God redeemed them. He can redeem whatever you grew up in. Whatever kind of roots you have, He can redeem that. He'll need to pull up some, but He can plant seeds that will mature into a full-grown, fruit-producing tree. That's also not only happened in my own life, in your life, but it's also happened in the life of our church. Back in 2007, this church was just a seed. A seed that was dropped in the ground and really sort of disappeared for a while. You know, we had to, we had to oftentimes, we had, we had raised money. We spent six months raising money, you know, to, to support this, this church from other churches. And it was really tough to write those people and try to tell them what we were doing because, quite frankly, there wasn't much going on. It's kind of like telling them, you know, after you plant, you ever planted like something, you know, at the seed level? You drop it in there, you cover it up, and it's like, now go report on that. Well, the ground looked pretty cool today. It rained. You know, it, it, there's just not much action going on, is it? Only when that little plant is, you know, breaks the surface and you see a little shoot, you're like, yes, it's alive! You know what I mean? Like you feel like it's... But you know, it's really alive before that. It's really alive at the seed level. And we forget that. And sometimes in the Christian life, our ministry is at the seed level. At the seedbed level. And we can't really see the big results... We can't really see the branches coming out or, or even any fruit yet. But that's where vision comes in. Peter has a vision, doesn't he? God can give you a vision. He's not done with that. He can give you a dream. He can speak words into you. What happens in Acts? We're dealing with the same Spirit. The Spirit told me, Peter said. The Spirit can tell you. And when He does... Let me tell you, it's unmistakable. Undeniable. You cannot get away from it. The Scripture says His calling is irrevocable. No one can touch that. No one will convince you otherwise. And so ministry for Jessica and I became very depressing at times. I was writing to people who were giving us money as the church, you know, and this sort of thing to help us. And I'm like... We prayed for a couple people. Um, you know, there wasn't much to show for. We couldn't go do things like choose life. We didn't have anybody. Just us. Jessica, me and Jessica and Jackson. That was it. Couldn't even count the rest of the kids at that time, you know? The numbers were awful. But you know, that seed grew. That seed grew. Rachel, Casey, Bob, Deborah. Christopher, April, some of the first ones to jump in that seed bed with us. And God began to germinate something that resulted in what you see today. But we're not done. We're not even near done. I, in my mind, where we're at, we've broken the surface. We've got some branches out. But He wants to produce more fruit. Amen. Now, 
don't get in your mind, all of a sudden, oh yeah, well he just wants a big church and we're going to do all that. No, no, no. It's not the vision at all. Not at least in my head. Not that what God has given to me. I want to see, God wants to see every one of us producing fruit. Can I tell you something real quick? As, as, as a pastor, we're not there yet. Not everybody's being discipled. Not everybody's joining into the work. Not everybody is actually producing fruit. Now that's okay, because again, some are at the seed level. That's fantastic. We're not looking at one life or the other and say, oh, well, you're not, so I guess you're here. I hope you're not doing that. Because you used to be a seed too, under the ground, and people could not see what God was doing. But He was doing something. So nobody's looking around and doing this sort of thing. At least, I'll make sure that they don't if I hear it. No, no, because God's vineyard, not mine, not yours. You're not in charge of this. I'm not in charge of this. We're just here to help. We're hired help. He's commissioned us, hasn't He? The Great Commission? Yes. To help with the whole planting process. And here's the thing. Remember what we said? The season to plant is now. Because God's season to plant is always. So we're constantly planting seeds. Now, back in... I said 2007, the seed was dropped, right? 2009, we had a prayer group. Again, we were praying. Because as I read the Bible, I noticed that nothing really happens without prayer. So I'm like, okay, God, if you're going to do anything with it, you know, because I can't bring this about, we're going to have to pray. I mean, that's all I know to do. So, so we just called, we didn't even call it a small group, we called it a prayer group. Because really, that's what we needed most. That's what we still need the most. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what the, that's sort of the hidden secret that's not really hidden. It's, Paul says, don't stop praying. That is the Christian life. Uh, well, then in 2000, April 2010, actually this month, 2010, six years ago, we had our first service. And that, that was sort of like one of those moments where it's like, oh, hey, there's a little green spot there. You know, where they, so we, I mean, you know, at that point, people who were giving to our church from all over the place, I'm like, we had our first service. They're like, oh, finally, they're a real church, you know. Um, I mean, what do people do when they're just meeting and they don't have a service? You know, well, listen, it's a process. Have you noticed that yet? Growth is a process. These little children that are right in front of them, they're growing. And we must never stop growing in Christ. We've already established. I think you all, I saw a bunch of heads. I don't think anybody in here is perfect. If you are, let's, you know, we need to see your hand because we need to get behind you. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody's willing to say that. And if that's not the case, then we're all still growing. And so how can you look back at somebody else? Maybe, maybe you're a big tree that's producing a lot of fruit. You can't look down at a little sapling, right? And just say, what a sap, right? No, no, no. It's not the way we work. That's not the way we do. We encourage that little guy, right? We encourage. We, we fertilize. We water. We do our part to help them. Just like we don't make fun of the kids because they don't know certain... You know, you shouldn't make fun of your kids because they don't know certain things, right? you got to teach them. And we need to be taught. We need to be teachable always. Yes. A student... There's this thing I always share with my, my, um, my college students. It's a little, little quip from Einstein. And uh, they never get it, unfortunately, so it's not funny. And so I'm not going to even fully share it here because just nobody ever seems to get it. But basically, this guy comes to Einstein and he says, um, he says, uh, you know... Or actually, Einstein said to him, what do you do? And the guy's like, you know, he's a student. He goes, he goes well, I, uh, I did study physics, but I'm done with that. You know? and, uh, and the guy says, well, what do you do? Talking to Einstein, he says, I'm, I'm a student of physics. Well, here's, here's the genius himself 
seeing himself as a student and the guy who was temporary student, he's done. I'm done with that. That's not the Christian life. I, you know, um, I've read the Bible quite a bit. I've studied it. I've studied under people who have studied way longer than me. And you know what? I feel like I'm just getting started. That's not some kind of, you know, whatever to me. It's a challenge for all of us. Because the people who I learned from, again, who spent 90 years studying, Dr. Ken Law, Oswald, he's now in his 70s, you know. All these, they've spent a lifetime in the world, and they're just telling me in their books, they're saying, man, we got a lot of work to do. We still have, we still have a word here that needs to be interpreted, uncovered, lived out. Now, don't let that depress you. That, should, that excites me. I mean, I'm in a field. I'm in a field of study. Just think about it. I'm in a field of study that is that we're just now scratching the surface on some things. That's how big God is. We're never going to understand it. We're never going to get to a point in heaven. That's why heaven is never going to be boring. If you have an idea that, oh man, I mean, just going to sit around and clap our hands and sing and raise. Listen, you, you haven't understood who God is. He's bigger than that. If you like relationships, and really, you should love one another, right? God is the greatest of relationships and our relationships are going to continue. And we're going to, just like we're getting to talk to each other and live life together, we're going to get to do that with people like Moses, Noah. All those people we get, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, it's just all of a sudden when you get to heaven, you don't know everything. That would change the nature of humanity. No, we're still going to learn. There's still room to grow. We're never going to be like God just done. No, no, we're not done. We're not closing up shop. We can never say on our own, it is finished. This is, a, this is a, an eternity. <laughs> That's good news, I think. I, I love that. I love, you know, I, I love, so, it's a growing process. We, though in order to plant, as you know, you have to do a couple things that end up getting your hands really dirty. I mean, I don't know how to avoid it. I mean, I don't wear gloves when I do planting and stuff just because I actually like to get stuff under my fingernails and just sort of feel the dirt myself. And some people are trying to get their manicure taken care of and stuff. But, uh, you know, I understand that too. But I like to get dirty when I'm doing dirty work like that. I do. I just like, just like if I'm going to run, I want to sweat. You know, I want to feel like I actually did something. If I do a run, I'm not even perspiring. I'm like, man, did I even do anything? Same way with planting. If we're going to plant, we have to prepare the soil. Now, we kind of talked about that last week, right? You remember uh, the, the guy with four kids, and he gives everything, and God plants something right there, and it becomes the temple, ultimately. What an amazing story that is, that people are still worshiping at today. And so, you know, the question becomes, well, how do we prepare our soul and others to be planted in? To have a, a nice seed bed. Because again, if you invest in some nice plants and seeds, you'll want to have a place that's very nice for that to be dropped into. In other words, when I planted my magnolia tree, I made sure the hole was perfect. You should have seen it. I should have took a picture of it. It was awesome. My neighbor even looked over across the fence, kind of like they used to do a home improvement. You know, that show with, uh, what's his face? I can't even remember his name now, but his neighbor that you can only see this much. He looked over the fence like, man, that's a nice hole. You need to come over here and dig some for me. Because, I mean, it's perfect and down deep enough. Because, look, I bought the tree. I want the thing to live. I, prepared, I made sure the prepper. I took a lot of time preparing. And if you notice, anytime they're building something, 
They always do the dirt work first, and it takes a long time, and it costs a lot of money because if you get that wrong, everything else that you build on is going to be wrong. Preparation is key. Now, how do we do that? Well, we have to break up fallow ground. What, what is fallow ground? It's uncultivated ground. Probably, again, fallow, you don't use that much. It's sort of a biblical term here uh, or a farming term. You know, we all have things in our life that are underdeveloped. I think we already have confessed that to each other. I've confessed it to you saying I'm not perfect, which means I'm underdeveloped. There's places in my life that God still wants to say, you know what? All right, we're going to enter into this field of your life now, Marshall. This season of your life, we haven't been able to deal with that just yet, but I'm about to bring my plow through. We have to plow up. In other words, I chose a spot for my tree and I plowed up the ground. I actually, <clears throat> there's, um, I, I looked up some definition for this. If, uh, if, you can, if you can bear with this, just definitionally. Plowing means to dig into. Isn't that nice? Now just think about that spiritually speaking, right? God wants to dig into some places in your life. Some fields that are uncultivated. Some areas that are uncultivated. In your life. He wants to dig in there. Not only that, it's to break up. Break up some of the strongholds. Break up some of the mentality that's there. Some of your thinking is wrong. We've already said we're not perfect. And not only that, to turn it over. That's, that sounds like repentance to me, doesn't it? You turn it over. Like turn over a new leaf, right? Except God is the one who's doing this in our life. And so we need to, uh, we need to be plowed and we need to help plow in other people's lives. That's what we're called to do. Getting in each other. That's what small group is about. Small group is about being in each other's life and helping the Spirit's work in others as we can. Now, we're not the Holy Spirit. We need to be very clear about that. But we, we get to help. It's kind of like, like that old commercial, you remember? Uh, that really country-sounding girl. It's shaking bacon. I helped. You remember that? That might be too, that might be too old for some people. I, I, I was talking to... Some friends yesterday, and and I said I said bow nose right, and they were all like, oh yeah. And I was like you you know, you know bow bow nose. They were like, no, I don't know. I'm like you gotta see this. I'm pulling out my phone. You know, I'm from the '80s, like way back in the '80s. You know what I mean? No, it's shaking, making. I helped, and I, you know what? I think we'll get to heaven, and it's like I got to help. That's really what we'll see. We get to help. You know, he's the one doing the cooking. He's the one doing the planning. But we get to help. You know, now, now granted, we're probably over there throwing dirt back in his hole, you know. But he, being a good father, says, it's alright. I mean, I actually invite my children to help me do things, even though I know they're going to mess it up. They're going to make a mess. And God does the same thing with us. To, he invite, He knows I'm going to make a mess of some things. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to forget things. I'm going to say things wrong. I'm going to do things wrong. But you know what? He says, come on, let's go. we got some planting to do, son. I love that. That's what He's calling all of us to do. He doesn't care if we mess up from time to time. He can fix it. He can fix it. He's big enough to fix our, our little mess-ups, mishaps. And He calls us all into His service, all into His field to help. Um, so, we're to be about planting. And you know what His instrument is to plow? It's other people. It's family. Trust me, Justin has plowed a lot in my life. Jessica... The two J's have plowed, she's plowed a lot in my life. Now that's nothing on them being mean to me or anything like that. It's, it's me 
having undeveloped fields in my life. Places that need God desperately. And the only way I can see that they need it is in other people. That's why we meet as a church. That's why we need family. We need God's family. And small groups, accountability groups, at all levels. Because we need to be plowed. We need to repent. We need that ground broken up. Did you, did you catch that? That's exactly what's happened to Peter here. Right? The sheet drops down. And it's got all these animals in there that were unclean. Reptiles, you could not eat reptiles. You couldn't eat pork. There was a pig in there, I'm sure. Maybe it looked like bacon. And Peter says, Peter, that stuff comes in, he goes, he, and, and, says, and he hears a voice that says, take and eat, right? And he says, no way. I have never eaten bacon or sausage, pig in a blanket, any of that kind of stuff. Hog job, you know. Never eaten any of that. Um, pork chops. I just keep, you know, the pork. The pork industry can thank me later. Um, the other white meat, right? <laughs> he sees this and he says, no, 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 I know what this is. This is a temptation. There's nothing. I've never eaten that stuff. How about that, God? See, I, I still can refuse bacon, you know? And God says, oh, big guy, don't call unclean what I can make clean. In other words, I can make anything clean. He can wash up anything. He can transform even the worst thing, which is death. I mean, death sort of is the worst thing that can happen to you today. I mean, you lose all your money, you're still alive. You die, you lose all your money and everything else. Death is sort of the worst thing, and God says, you know what? I'm going to take the worst thing that can happen to humans, death. I'm going to make it transformation. In other words, if you'll come and die, then you'll live. Then you'll live. Only when you die will you live. That's why he says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He didn't go to the grocery store. He didn't go to his recliner. He went to a place called the skull, Golgotha. A place of death. And he died. And he resurrected. There's that little thing of resurrection again, right? Like we talked about last week. And the week before even. Resurrection really is what salvation is about. That's what He has secured. But the only way you can be resurrected is if you are dead. The only way a seed is ever going to grow into anything else is if it goes into the ground and dies and stops being a seed and transforms into a plant and a tree that produces much fruit. You get the idea here? That's what we're called to be. Tree. You remember Psalm 1? My, my, probably my favorite. That's hard for me to say. One of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 1. The very first one. Before he ever even gets out of, the, out of the gate, he says, you're a tree. And you're supposed to be a tree that produces in every season. Never withering. Always producing much fruit. John 15. The vine. Get connected to the vine. How about this? Bo knows. B-O-U-G-H. Yeah? Bo? No? Yeah? No? Like a branch? That's a bow. Um, learn something new every day, right? Uh, who is the vine? Who is the true branch? Jesus. Bo knows. In other words, the vine knows. And we need to get connected to Him if we are going to be in the know. So, 
We're called to plant. We're called to prepare the soil, but really prepare our soul for the harvest. Prepare other souls. That's the reason this church exists, right? Yeah, remember? Prepare, plant, produce. That is why we call ourselves Harvest Point. We want to be a place, one place among many in the world and around the world, where God has workers in His field. That's the vision. We're, going to, we're not going to settle until that's happening. And it is happening. But when you produce fruit, guess what the result of that is? More fruit. Seeds being planted. So, Peter gets this vision. God plows up the old way of his thinking, right? Turns that over completely. Says, hey buddy, don't call bacon unclean. And I think we can give an amen at that point, right? <laughs> Don't call pork chops unclean. Don't call shrimp unclean. I'm like, amen. Crawfish, don't call that stuff unclean. You know what I mean? Uh, and God says, look, I'm going to turn around the way you think. And He did. Didn't He? And you know what else He did? As He sent Peter. Just like we were talking about. He sent him into His field. Now, Peter, this would have, this would have nullified him being a good Jew. He makes a break here from his past, and he this is an you know, this is a point of no return for him. And it's a point of return for us because now the gospel goes. This is the first instance in the gospel. I mean, in the in you know, gospel of things, I don't mean the four gospels, in God's gospel, his good news, where the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Now again, we, we celebrate the the Magi coming to Jesus, but now the Gospel goes to the Gentiles. And they accept it, and the Spirit fills Gentiles. Which means, the Spirit can fill us. And Peter's sitting there saying, because they brought Him up to accuse Him. The Jews did. And, and, and Peter says, look, I, I love what He actually says. Notice real quick, again, what He says here. So He tells a story, and then in verse 17, He says this, If then... <laughs> If then God gave the same gift, talking about the Holy Spirit, to them as He gave to us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? I've tried to stand in God's way before and not do what He said. Not join Him in loving others. Not join Him in sharing Jesus with others. And literally, what you're doing is standing in God's way. Peter says, I can't stand in God's way. If He's doing that, even to the Gentiles, I don't understand it, I'm going to go with it. Do you know that Jessica and I, we were scared to death when we came here in 2007. But God called us here. He told us to go. What else was I supposed to do? I wanted to go to a more, more secure ministry setting. But he said, no. And so we came. Because he saw something that I could not see. If he's calling you to do something, would you trust him? That's what this walk of faith is about anyway, is trusting him. He knows best. He can see further than us. They fell silent. And they glorified God and they said, well, I guess the Spirit has come to the Gentiles now. 
And that blows the whole thing wide open. That, I mean, what bigger day, really, in world history is there than that day? Can you name one that's bigger than that? That the Spirit comes to the Gentiles? Think about how many people that affected. You think World War II affected a lot of people? Think about how many people that affected. It's affected the whole world. It's time, my dear brothers and sisters, to plant. It's time. Pete, if you would um, play the audio for this, and then I'm going to give one last call. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, and then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting on the school board. So God made a farmer. I need somebody with arms strong enough to wrestle a cat and gentle enough to deliver his own grandchild. Somebody to call hogs, tame cantankerous machinery, come home hungry, have to wait lunch until his wife's done feeding visiting ladies, and tell the ladies to be sure and come back real soon and meet him. So God made a farmer. God said I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn coat and watch it die and dry his eyes and say maybe next year. I need somebody who can shake an axe handle, throw a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who plant in time and harvest the season, will finish his 40 hour week by Tuesday noon, and then pay him from tractor back, put in another 72 hours, so God made a fire. God had to have somebody willing to ride the ruts at double speed to get the hay and head of the rain clouds, and yet stop in midfield and race to hell when he sees the first smoke from a neighbor's place. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to eat lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foam plus who will stop his mower for an hour to split the broken leg of a metal heart. It had to be somebody who plowed deep and straight and not cut corners, somebody to see, weed, feed, breed, and break and disc and plow and plant and tie the fleece and strain the milk and replenish the self-feeder and finish a hard week's work with a five-mile drive to church. Somebody who made a family together with a soft, strong bonds of sharing, who would laugh and then sigh and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says, that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. That was a 1978 address by Paul Harvey <clears throat> to a farmer's association. My address is to you as farmers of God. Just like fishers of men, farmers of God. We all have a little farmer in us in the sense that we're called to plant. Plant in other people's lives. Plant in our children's lives. Plant in each other's lives. Good things. The good news. Not bad stuff. The good stuff. His stuff. His Word. His life. His grace. His forgiveness. That's what people need planted in their life. Are we willing to take that and say, yeah, God has called me to farm. He has. He has. 
Amen.